Well, good morning, everyone. I think after that song, I just want to sort of rest in that beautiful song. And it is a beautiful song to, to really go to where we're going to go today, which is Psalm 55. So if you can turn to Psalm 55 in your Bibles, if you have your pew Bible, I would invite you to turn to page 475. Keep your Bible open today. We're going to be looking at Psalm 55 almost verse by verse, and we're going to also jump to some other passages too. So I want you to stay in and see what God has for us today. A few weeks ago, my family and I went to go see the Wonder Woman movie. And yes, <laughs> and we have, a, we have a fan right there. And in fact, for my wife, she does not like the superhero movies. I mean, but you know, I was surprised with very little reluctance. She went with us. My daughter, on the other hand, Kelsey, I wasn't sure how she was going to react. I mean, she hasn't really seen the superhero movies at all. So we weren't too sure was she going to like it or was she not. And so we get home from the movie. And for the entire night, she does what you just did, Ducky. She's sitting there going, exactly. <laughs> Pretending like she's, you know, Superwoman, Wonder Woman, okay, the entire night. And I thought it would wear off. But still, even a couple weeks later, she still, every once in a while, breaks out into her Wonder Woman persona. So it's just, it's just a crack up. Now, I will have to admit, for me, I am a big fan of the superhero movies. In fact, it goes all the way back to at least when I was four years old. I was really into Superman. And without embarrassing myself, which I'm going to now, I was so into Superman that I actually started to make up a story that I was one of Superman's friends who also came to Krypton, <laughs> and that the spaceship came down, and I lived in Anaheim then, spaceship came down, and we, you know, I was, had a twin, and we you know, changed places. And I'd go around to the kids, and I would literally, I would try to tell everybody on my block, I am really, you know, this friend of Superman. And I used to pretend like I'd come out of nowhere. Anyway, so I was able to get away. I was able to get away with that until I was 11 years old when my parents moved us up to the Bay Area. And I quickly found out I could no longer convince anybody that I was a superhero. So I gave that up. But you know, I wondered today if I had those superpowers. If you know Superman, all superheroes have a superpower. Superman can see through different walls, see what's going on, he has x-ray vision, he can see what's going on. I'm wondering if I had the superpower today of being able to look into each one of your hearts. I wonder how many of you I would see wounds that you have had for maybe many, many years, maybe wounds that you've had since you've been a child. Maybe it's some type of violence that happened to you when you were a child. Maybe when you were a teenager or an adult, you had some type of injustice against you. Maybe even within the context of a church that you've been at before, you had someone who you thought was really close to you who hurt you. And when you have those types of wounds, as we know, they often just don't seem to ever go away. The emotions um, they pile up, things trigger it. Sometimes they actually interfere with our ability to relate to ourselves and our own image of ourselves. Sometimes they interfere with our relationships with other people. And sometimes they even interfere with our relationship with God. 
Now, if I had that superpower, which I don't, to look inside your hearts, I would certainly hope that I also would have the superpower to just zap those wounds and make those wounds completely go away. And again, I don't. But today, we are going to look at Psalm 55. And Psalm 55 has to do with when we are wounded like that. And Psalm 55 tells us what do we do when we have wounds that keep piling up in our lives. And where can we find hope? Where can we find help in the midst of that? So if you can turn to Psalm 55, and we're going to go through not the entire passage, but we're going to go through a lot of the passage today and just look to see what does God tell us about the psalm. We've been in a series of psalms, and Psalm 55 is really no different than a lot of the other psalms that we've looked at where we are seeing that it's authored originally by David through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about a situation that we really don't know what he's referring to. A lot of people have assumed maybe it deals when he he was with Saul. Some people think when he was with Absalom. I mean, there's different theories as to what does Psalm 55 address in the life of David. Honestly, we're just not sure. But let's go ahead and read and see what David is doing here in the psalm and why he's crying out to God. Because you notice in verse, let me just read verses 1 through 3. It says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me. Answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me. And in anger, they bear a grudge against me. I mean, we immediately see what the psalmist does, which is what we all do and should do when we're just in pain and something's been done to us. The psalmist immediately cries out to God and pleads with God, listen to me. May pay attention to me, God. Look what's going on in my life right now. I need help. And if you look down there, you get an idea of something has happened, some event Some enemy has come against the psalmist. And look at the language. It says, for they drop trouble on me. That's an interesting word there because it really refers to something literally dropped on top of you. You know, if you think of the Superman movies, it all starts out with something happens to someone. A car drops on someone, okay, or a building falls on someone, all right, or they get kidnapped. All right, well, that's the same type of thing here. Something has happened to the psalmist where enemies come along And something, some injustice, some wound has taken place. But not just that initial wound, because now look what happens next. Look at verse 4 and 5. And I want you to listen to the language here. This is about the most intimate, heart-wrenching language that we can try to come through in English. In Hebrew, I think it even comes through even more so. But it says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. Not just this event that initially happened, but there's now, looking at the language again, not only does this event, this thing that hurt them, this wound, drop on them, but now there's this continuing overwhelming of emotions and feelings and hurt that just keep piling on. Look at the language that's used. The, the terrors of death fallen on me. The fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. So you just get a sense here that they are just all consumed with whatever has happened to them, 
and the emotions and the feelings, everything around that is just tearing the psalmist apart. And what do we do in situations like that? What happens when we, that has happened to us or the emotions from a past wound have come up? Well, notice what the psalmist says next. He says in verse 6 through 8, he says, And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away, I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and the tempest. What do we do when that happens to us? We want to what? We want to just get away. We want to fly away as fast as we can. You notice that the psalmist here uses, and she just put it up. You notice that the psalmist, now you're going to wonder, why did she put that up? Which is good, okay? Notice that the psalmist talks here and says that he refers to it's a dove or a pigeon. I wish I had wings like a dove or a pigeon. He doesn't say, I wish I had wings like an eagle. Why? Well, I want to introduce you my super dog, okay? (laughs) This is Teddy, and he is a, believe it or not, he's a Yorkie. He's a standard-sized Yorkie. Most people don't see them. He's pretty big. He's about this big. And so this is Teddy, and you can see he's definitely a super dog. I mean, he's flying right here. (laughs) But this is what Teddy does, is in our backyard right now, is my wife has made this beautiful birdhouse that she built out of the things on the barn where her mom used to live and was raised, and she's built this beautiful birdhouse out of it. And why did she build that? So all the little pretty finches would come along and feed off of it. Well, what ends up happening? Not just do the little birds come along, but the doves and the pigeons come along. And my dog, Teddy, here thinks he's a super dog because he sits there and he waits. And he's looking out constantly out the living room window with his dog door, and he's waiting to see when a dove comes. He doesn't mind the little birds. And as soon as a dove or pigeon comes, he just tears out after them. Well, he is almost always not fast enough. Because doves and pigeons do what? Ever try to go up to one? Boom! They're gone instantly. Well, one time he did, just recently, last week, he went out there so fast, I think the pigeon did not see him, and he just barely grabbed under the pigeon that was taking it off. And I think it scared him more than it did the pigeon, because he comes in with some feathers on him, you know? And he's all like, oh my God, what did I do? The point is that when we are feeling that type of hurt and those wounds and those emotions of terror start overwhelming us, we just want to get away as fast, as fast as we can. And that's what the psalmist is talking about. How can we escape? But the psalmist also knows most of the time we can't escape. Now what happens next is I want you to skip down to verse 12. Because now the psalmist is going to tell us something that is almost really a surprise as we're reading it. Because he says in verse 12, For it is not, it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me. Then I could hide from him. So he says, you know what? This was what happened to me. I wish it was an enemy. I wish it was someone that I did not know who did this. I could then at least deal with this. But listen, because what does he say in verse 13? He reveals who it is who did this to him. He says, but as you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend, we used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Get the idea here. Jump down to verse 20. 
My companion stretched out his hand against me. He violated his covenant. His speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, and yet they were drawn swords. What has happened here is the psalmist has been betrayed by the person closest to them. This could be someone who's a family member. It could be someone who is a very, very close friend. Here the psalmist says, it's even someone who I worship with. And yet this person who they trusted and who you trusted so much has come in and done something to violate that, where you become now the victim and they have done some injustice to you. And the psalmist is saying, I, I can't deal with this. And you can just get the idea here of how close they are, how close they were to this person. The language that's used here, again, doesn't come across well in English. In Hebrew, it is talking about an intimacy with that person where they were so close and so much trusted them. Some people have even thought here, with the language that's being used, that David might even be referring to when his daughter Tamar was raped by her brother. And not only raped, but then just abandoned. And that this, this is the type of language of what maybe you feel and what the person's feeling. But we get the idea of what happens when someone so close to us betrays us. And it is no wonder that the psalmist, when this happens, that you read in verse 15, what's the first response of the psalmist? He says, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. What is oftentimes the first response? We have to be honest about this. The first response is, I just want my enemy to die. I want the person who did with us me to just go away. And that is a valid feeling that obviously someone who's been violated is going to have in this situation. What do we do? And then the psalmist completely switches and just turns around. Because what he does is look at verse 16. He stops himself and he says, but. Whenever you see buts in scripture, always pay attention. It's like the turning point. The psalmist is saying, this is what I want. I just so much wish this injustice back on my enemy. I so much wish I could just bring revenge. And then he says, but. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. What happens in Superman movies? When someone has been kidnapped, what happens? Superman is somehow with the superpowers hearing that something bad has happened. And the person's crying out. And then what happens next? Everyone around looks and says, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. <laughs> and Superman comes down and saves them. Well, we know the Superman is just in the movies. What happens here? The psalmist, this is David, back 3,000 years ago. He says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. That word Lord there is Yahweh. It is the personal name of God that God used in the Old Testament. Now, if we've had those wounds happen to us, who do we call on today? When we call on God, who is the one 
who will save us? And I want to spend just a few minutes to answer that question. When we cry out this psalm today and we say, God, help me, who is it that's going to come and save us? And what I want you to do is I want you to spend just a few moments with me. I want to turn to a book. The book is the book of Hebrews. It's on page 1001, if you have your Pew Bible. Is you remember who Superman, what does he do? Superman, who, who is he, though? He dresses up like who? Clark Kent. And everyone thinks here is a sort of like nerdy guy, all right? And no one knows that he's Superman. And what happens when he hears that there's trouble and that someone's crying out and needs the help of Superman, what does Clark Kent do? Exactly, he goes into a phone booth. And how many phone booths do we have around these days? <laughs> well, thankfully in Laguna Beach, we are lucky because as all of you know, we have a phone booth of Superman Clark Kent to go, yeah, go into down in downtown Laguna Beach. But I want to show here that what Hebrews does is it is almost like a Clark Kent walking into the phone booth and coming out Superman. What happens in Hebrews is it, it says there is this man named Jesus who lived here one time on earth. And what Hebrews does is unmasking. It's like putting Jesus in a phone booth, okay? And who does he come out to really be? Who is the real identity of this Jesus? In our men's Bible study right now, we are going through the book of Hebrews. And I will say, I, uh, us and the guys, we are just finding out things about Jesus. I go, I've never even known this about him before. It's just awesome because this book is just unveiling, showing us and unmasking who is this real Jesus who says he saves us. And notice in Hebrews 1 how it starts out. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways. Doesn't that sound like a movie? What movie? Star Wars. I will bet that George Lucas took the opening of Star Wars right from here. Okay, and I actually think he did. Okay. So it says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So back in the time of David, when he's praying this psalm we're looking at, the way God spoke to his people were through prophets. It says, but, oh, there's another but, in these last days he has spoken to us by who? By his son, which is going to ultimately refer to Jesus Christ. And it says, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. Now, one thing that Hebrews does, which is really unique, is it uses the Psalms that we have been going through, and it uses those Psalms to reveal who Christ really is. And it does this throughout the book of Hebrews. So these Psalms that we've been reading, the Psalms that you might be praying, it shows us something about who Jesus is as we go through these Psalms. And I want you to look, the very first time that a psalm is quoted, notice in verse 5, it says, For to which of the angels did God ever say? What the book of Hebrews is doing in chapter 1 and chapter 2, it is comparing Jesus not to Superman, but to angels. And it's comparing and showing how Jesus is far superior to the angels. And here, what it's saying is, For to which of the angels did God ever say? And then it quotes Psalm 2 where through the psalmist, the Holy Spirit, it says, you are my son, meaning God, the Father, saying, you are my son, today I have begotten you. 
revealing in a psalm 3,000 years before Jesus came to earth that God had a son who had been with him and who was fully God, just like God the Father. In fact, you can see in verse 3, it says, He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by his power. Wow. This Jesus Christ ultimately started and was always for eternity the Son of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity. And that this Son was fully deity, fully God, just like God the Father, and that this Son was actually involved in the creation of the world. So the very first thing that Hebrews unmasks for us about Jesus is that before he even came on earth, he was fully God. Now, I want you to turn to chapter 2. In chapter 2, the focus of the the person writing um, Hebrews is to show us that Jesus was not just fully God, but he's also fully human. He's also fully one of us. So notice what it says. In verse 5 it says, For it was not angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, and where that somewhere is is Psalm 8. Again, using another psalm to unveil who Jesus was. It says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And then I want you to jump down to verse 9. Now it actually says who this son is. It says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than angels. Namely, who do we see? Jesus. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death so that by the grace of God he might taste death. Here the psalmist is showing that this Jesus, who was ultimately the Son of God and existed forever as the Son of God, has now come to earth fully, fully as one of us. And what is so amazing about this Jesus is that he went through everything we went through and even more. Because I want you to now turn to Hebrews 5. You just probably just turn a page there. And I want you to look at verse 7. So when Jesus was here on earth, what was he doing? Well, it says, in the days of his flesh, meaning when he was like one of us, it says, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications. And now it is going to refer to when Jesus went to the cross and when he died for us on the cross. And it says that he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him. So what was Jesus praying? I think a lot of us know. But Jesus was praying, not just when he was here on earth, but when Jesus went to the cross, he used the same psalms that we're going through and used those psalms to cry out to God, just like we see David crying out to God. In fact, we know that he prayed Psalm 22, was one of the psalms. We said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so while Jesus was here on earth and he goes to the cross on our behalf, he is praying the Psalms just like David was praying. And notice what it is. Remember how David said, but I call to God and the Lord will save me? What does Jesus do here? It says, with loud cries and tears in prayer, 
he calls out to God to who him, God the Father, who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. First, Jesus cried out the Psalms, just like David, and said, help me, God. And who came and saved him? God came and saved him. So we can see Jesus is doing just like we're to do today, which is to call out to God. But I want you now to go back so you can see how Jesus, just like us, prays these psalms, prays these psalms on the cross. And now I want to go back and sort of summarize what Hebrews says about this. What does this have to do with us? Okay, what does this have to do with Jesus as far as our being our Savior? What does this have to do with these wounds we've experienced in our lives? And then how can Jesus help us in those wounds? And I want you to look now at chapter 2, verse 14. Because this is where it sums it all up. And it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, in other words, us is what it's referring to, all of humanity, he, meaning Jesus himself, likewise, just like us, partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus, just like one of us, when he went to the cross and died on the cross, I don't know if you know this, but he at that time defeated death, defeated sin, and defeated the devil. Amen. Amen. I mean, that is where we have our hope today. Now, we are still seeing the effects of that until Jesus comes again, when finally all that will be destroyed. But our hope is that ultimately we know that God will bring justice to this earth. Okay, whatever has happened to us, our hope is and we know that ultimately Jesus died to bring that type of justice. And then look what it says. Verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters, all of us, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Ultimately, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because, do you know where Jesus is today? Because today, Jesus is up there, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why is he up there? For us. He didn't just die on the cross for us. He is up there for us today. Why? To be our faithful and high priest. The one who we know went through everything we could possibly go through. The one we know who still today is interceding for us today to help us with whatever we are going through. What's fascinating, I don't know if you ever knew this, was if you look up at verse 12 there, it talks about how Jesus, when he's at the right hand of the Father today, he is saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. That is quoting a psalm. That is quoting Psalm 22. Today, Jesus is praying the psalms for every one of us. Every one of us, Jesus is at the right hand of God. As we pray the psalms, he still continues to pray the psalms for us, interceding for us. And then, oh, I just cannot believe verse 18. I just go, if we want to have hope in our lives today, verse 18 gives us that hope because it says, for because he himself has suffered, meaning Jesus, when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. 
today, that's present tense, because he is at the right hand of the Father, because he is interceding for us today and died on the cross, he is able to help us with whatever has happened to us. I don't care what kind of betrayal you've been through, all right? I don't care how much hurt you've had in your life. Whatever has happened, Jesus is here to get us through it. He is here to not just save us from our sins, he is here to also take all those things that have happened to us and all those struggles we still face. And when we're crying out and saying, I just want to get away, help me, God, he answers and hears our prayer. And I want you to now turn back to close. I want you to turn back to Psalm 55. And really, hopefully there in Hebrews, it unmasks for you, who is this Jesus that has saved us? Who is this one that when we call out to God, he hears our prayers? And look at back at verse 16. It says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. When you are praying that psalm today, when you are calling out to God, who is the one who saves you? It is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he not just saves you, he is there at the right hand of God to do what? Look at verse 17. Evening and morning and noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I rage, for many are arrayed against me. And it says God will give. Not us. It says, God will give ear and humble them. He who is enthroned from the old, because they do not change and do not fear God. Part of the promise that we have in Christ is that if we've had some injustice done to us, some, we've been the victim of something we had no control over, we want to try to find justice here on earth. And we can find maybe a little bit of that justice here on earth, but ultimately our hope is that the only place where that justice is fully going to happen is with God. We do not have to bring revenge against those who do something against us. That's why Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Ultimately, if they don't come to Christ, God promises there is judgment in this world. Christ has come to make things right in this world. And that's something we can put our hope in. And then I want to end with the end of this psalm, where it says in verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord, and here is a promise. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous he moved. Cast your burden on the Lord. Remember how we opened up the sermon? I talked to you about how in the sermon it talks about all this event that happens to me. It drops on top of me. And then all these emotions and terror and everything just overwhelm me. and I can never seem to get rid of them. All these pressures and everything that drop on me. What God is promising here and actually in a sense commanding us to say, those aren't yours, everybody. Those are mine. I want you to take all that's been throne and all the junk of life and all the horror and all the hurt. I want you to take that and literally he uses the word, throw it back to God. Just throw it back to God. And you know what? We can do that because when we throw it back to God, we know he's at the right hand of God to listen to our prayers and to help us because we have a God who is faithful. So I want to just wrap up with three things to think about here. The first is, when you go and read these psalms and you pray these psalms, look for Jesus. He is all over the psalms. Psalms foretell about him. These are the psalms that Jesus personally prayed himself. These are the psalms he prays on our behalf. That's why we can pray them today. And these are the psalms that he still prays. 
The second thing is pray these psalms. You've heard us over and over again every week, whether it's Jay or whether it's Jeff, we've been imploring you, read these psalms, pray these psalms. And I'm going to tell you one of the best things you can do in praying these psalms is to do what the psalmist says here in 16. Call out to God. That word call means to shout out to God, to proclaim out to God. When you out loud say the psalms yourself, God comes in and it gives you a voice. And I, I have seen in my own life where I've had some pretty serious betrayal by people who are close to me. And someone instructed me to cry out, out loud these psalms. And God is faithful who will come and take that burden off of us. We will cast it off to him when we do exactly what the psalm says as we pray morning, noon, and evening. And God will come in and save us. And he will help us. And so now as we go to this table of communion, it's going to be an opportunity for you to even do that today. This table of communion, when we take communion, Christ said, remember, do this to remember me. Not just remember what I did on the cross, but also remember the hope that I'm going to ultimately bring with my second coming. If you don't know Christ, I hope you know him a little bit more. I hope you know that you can place your faith in him. And take this opportunity as we do communion to do that. Take these burdens in you and cast them out to God. Amen.